and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove. I'm back in studio. I'm joined by a man who is fully in compliance with financial fair play. I checked his pockets. His name <laughs> is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I think we've never done any uh, particularly nefarious stuff when it comes to registering people for our amateur soccer team. Uh-huh. So yeah, so far so good. And all of our ads, um, mm-hmm. they're actually our advertisers. They're not, they're not from Abu Dhabi. Yes, and they're not paying uh, 400 million times what they should be in order to advertise. <laughs> Unfortunately not. I wish we yeah. could get someone to really, really overpay. Yeah, I take that. That's yeah. fine. I'd love an FFB investigation because that means our ads were doing really, really well. It's a good point. <laughs> I'm kind of okay with it now. So if you haven't heard this news, this was in the New York Times over the Sell out, weekend. baby. It's be a theme of the show. Um, it's actually uh, the same journalist that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about later. I'm just scrolling through my notes. Uh, Tariq Panja, mm-hmm. uh, he's a British journalist, writes the New York Times, um, is reporting that Manchester City may be facing a one-year ban from the Champions League because they are not in compliance with FFP. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> They're going to appeal, right? Yep. I mean, and they'll probably get it overturned. That is kind of how these things go. Yes. I, and I think that's why, like, when I talked about this in the, like, intro to the show yesterday and when I read about it, it feels like it, it's a – they could get that, and that's what maybe UEFA would like or what FIFA would like, but it doesn't feel like I think that's actually going to end up happening uh, because, number one, that's a big step to take, and maybe if you want to make a statement, that's what they're going to do. But number I kind two, of think the future of FFP depends on whether or not this actually gets enforced. Yes. Yeah? But then number two, as Ryan and I talked about yesterday, I believe – Man City's owners are the ones who are like, well, maybe it was PSG, but it might have been Man City. They're kind of interchangeable in the sense that I feel like they're happy to abuse financial fair play. <laughs> and they're the ones who I believe were, said, like, you know, we'll spend $50 million on lawyers. We'll see you in court. We're not just going to pay off these fines or we're yep. not going to do this. Like, And so I do wonder then if UEFA are kind of ready for what's to come or if they're really going to push it and so try to take a stand. It's a lawyer off. Yes. Yeah. They'll, yes. they'll face each other like opposing armies and uh, pull out their legal documents. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I mean, except that I feel like in a lawyer off that probably benefits. Like if it goes to that, then I do think that it's like UEFA or whomever. I, I'd say has... they, both, they both have enough money to lawyer up forever. Yeah, right? well, So I... it's not like a little guy versus a big guy. Yeah. And you eventually – like if I was suing Ford Motor Company, uh-huh. I would eventually lose, right? This is true. Because they would just lawyer me out. Um, that doesn't happen with UEFA. Lawyer you out. With, that's, that's the technical term, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and the Man City ownership group. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I mean, I guess we'll keep an eye on it over the next six years. <laughs> I think it was theoretically if it did happen on the like accelerated time frame, uh, it would be, I think, for the 2020-2021 season okay. or starting there if they didn't happen to finish in the top four. Well, as we might talk about later, mm-hmm. we will talk about later, the 2024 season might be the UEFA Champions League season mm-hmm. where the big clubs get excited. It's a conspiracy to keep Man City out of that. We'll, we'll talk about changes to the uh, the Champions League mm-hmm. on today's show. We have eight listener questions, each more magnificent than the last. That checks out. Um, which doesn't mean the first one's bad. It just means it gets better as you go. There you go. Uh, so keep listening. Mm-hmm. You ready for the first question? Let's do it. First question is from Evan Maddox. Besides a few exceptions, English teams have struggled in European competitions for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. How are four English teams in the finals of the Champions League and the Europa League right now? Sure. What has happened? So obviously Liverpool Spurs mm-hmm. um, in the Champions League final, uh, Chelsea Arsenal in the Europa League final. Everyone wants to know what has happened. Greatest league in the world. That's all it is. <laughs> let's, uh, not, let's not do that. I, I have... Uh, I think two answers that are kind of for each competition. Because okay. I think there's uh, one for the Champions League for me and then one for the Europa League. For the Champions League, I think that if you look at the last five years, yes, there have been English clubs involved, Liverpool in the final uh, last That's year. True, yeah. yeah, Chelsea in the semifinals a couple of years before that. Yeah, and I, so actually I disagree with the premise. I think English teams have been doing pretty much okay. They just I mean, haven't been doing like 
all teams in all finals well. That's the difference, though I think because if you look at teams that are really commonly in the semifinals, it's usually Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and Real Madrid. Uh-huh. And then to a lesser degree, Atletico Madrid, who are super disciplined and have this sort of very, I think it lends itself to a knockout competition, Atletico yeah. Madrid style. And then Juventus in there pretty consistently as well. And those are teams that kind of always win their leagues, are always comfortably in the Champions League. And I think with familiarity, you get a regularity breeds familiarity breeds confidence. And so if you're there all the time, then I think it kind of helps you be there all the time. I, so yeah, I, I back that up by mm-hmm. saying the major problem I think English teams have mm-hmm. is it's not the same teams every time, right? There are six teams yep. who think they're top four teams in England. Mm-hmm. Like literally what, uh, Arsenal and Man United finished outside of the top four mm-hmm. um, this season. A couple of years ago, we had Leicester City in there. So it's, it's sort of because you can't guarantee that you're in there week in, week out. And maybe also domestic competition is tough on you. That might be the reason why English teams have not done so well um, as they have recently in the past. Well, see, I would agree with you except that I would say recently, though, I do think there's a little bit more stability that I think we've seen. I mean, Man City have repeated as Premier League champions. They'll be back yeah. in there, but they've been in there consistently uh, since Pep Guardiola took over, even before to some extent. And then like Liverpool, I mean, their second straight year in a final, to me, that's like they're still there. They're doing mm-hmm. the same things. They're getting kind of used to it. And I think once you get used to the competition, it helps you go far. I think Spurs, the same. There's not, there haven't been any signings, but there hasn't been a lot of turnover. There hasn't yeah. been a lot of chaos behind the scenes. I kind of think this Spurs in the Champions League final thing is, I mean, obviously, Obviously, they deserve to be there because they got there, mm-hmm. but it's it doesn't match with the quality of the squad this yeah. year. Right? I wouldn't call them Champions League finalists, right? So I think if they're a full strength squad, yeah. it's, it's it's an easier argument to make. Certainly, yeah. yeah the, the team that we've seen lately, I mean, they're there, so credit they to are them. There. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But then I think you look at Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United. A lot more chaos behind the scenes. A lot more turnover lately, or even like like even with Wenger, it was a lot of maybe it's going to be turnover this year. We'll see. And mm-hmm. so I think that kind of makes it harder to kind of get back to like where you quote-unquote belong if you're one of those bigger clubs. And I think with that, the other thing for the Champions League this season in particular is that bigger clubs, perennial powers, have struggled. Real Madrid and Bayern Munich have not had as strong of seasons as they normally do, as we normally yeah. expect them to do. They're not nearly as settled at this yeah, point. Yeah, Bayern Munich almost didn't win the Bundesliga. Yeah, and so, exactly, right? <laughs> I know. Or almost haven't yet. I say that sarcastically. That, that's actually, I'm making that point. Yeah. Because normally they're just waltzing away with There it. we go. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, so I think you can't overlook kind of the downturn in form of some of the established powers combined with the sort of consistency in the Champions League of a few of those English clubs. I think that's a big part of it when it comes to the Champions League. Can I offer another Champions League point, which is that essentially the Champions League is a little bit random and there are lots of just excellent teams Mm -hmm. and the teams that get to the semifinals and the final, it's not reflective of the strength of the various leagues because so many different things can happen Mm -hmm. along the way that you can't just take this one little data point and then say this means that this league is doing much better. We could very easily have a situation where there were zero English teams in the Champions League final. Right After the first legs, it was pretty unlikely that Liverpool or Spurs would make it there. It's incredible that they did, but it it wasn't likely. And there's definitely another reality where Mm -hmm. they did not make it and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And not not only that, there's another reality when maybe Liverpool win 1-0 at home but then it's sort of like oh, they got blitzed in the first leg and it was atrocious yeah. and then if Tottenham drew at Ajax they still go out and yeah. then it's certainly like they were humiliated at home so yeah it's those quick little changes in form it completely yeah. changes the narrative long term so don't read anything into the Champions yeah. League in terms of league strength but Europa I think league. we can take some yeah. lessons or draw some conclusions from what's going on with English teams in the Europa League I agree, you agree? Really, because right, it, on the same it, page. Was, it was not but like a few years ago that there was fear when the coefficients still mattered there was fear that like because English teams were not taking Europa League seriously at all any 
English teams, really. Like, mm-hmm. there was a few every now and then. And then I think before United won it, there was Liverpool in the final. But it wasn't a kind of consistently you have English teams. There were years when I think they were all knocked out in the round of 16, as an example. But I think, so, like, you didn't have that to that extent, like, a few years ago. That people were worried about, like, why aren't teams taking it more seriously? Yeah. We're going to lose points. I have the answer. The answer is, starting the 2014-15 season, they made it so that if you win the Europa League, you get a Champions League spot next season. Mm. And I think a lot of English teams were just like, all right then, let's go. (laughs) Because from from then on, I think you get Chelsea in the semi-final. You got Liverpool in the final one year, right? And they lose to, I can't remember who they lost to, but it's after that huge comeback against Dortmund. Um, You got Man United winning it in Mm -hmm. 2017. And now you've got an all-English final um, in 2019. And I think the thing I mentioned earlier about the top four Champions League spots being really competitive in England, there are six teams who think they should be in the top four, suddenly makes the Europa League a genuinely realistic avenue to mm-hmm. qualify for the Champions League so suddenly English teams put more resources into it take it a lot more seriously essentially prioritise it more in terms of their squad yeah. rotation and that's how you get this situation where suddenly English teams are real contenders to win the Europa League every year yeah. it also doesn't hurt that Unai Emery is now the Arsenal coach and he won it three times in well, a row with Sevilla I wanna, so he's very Europa League um, savvy and familiar there you go yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah I want to focus on that for a second because yeah Sevilla won it three times in a row yep. Unai Emery there I don't think for all of them I think Sam Pauli might have been there for one Emery won it 14, 15, 16 wow maybe yeah. not then that's amazing according to uh, my research okay that, that, that works which for me. is not guaranteed to be accurate but I think like part of that <laughs> part of that is certainly that like Sevilla took it seriously and Unai Emery managed for every single knockout round game but I also think it's not just that it was this super special dynastic team who never did much in the Champions League but somehow kept winning in the Europa League. Yeah. I think it's that they took it really seriously and other teams didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're Chelsea or Arsenal and you're looking at the race for the top four and how competitive it is and how much money there is in the Premier League and then you sort of look at the Europa League and you think, well, some of these teams like were here from the beginning because they couldn't qualify for Champions League. Some of the teams got knocked out of the Champions League and are now here. Maybe this is our chance to kind of beat up on some smaller teams or perceive smaller teams. Yeah. And it's an easier course than having to beat, I know, Tottenham in two games and Man United in one game and Everton in one game. Like, you yep. can maybe kind of look at this as an opportunity to take an easier route to get yeah. the Champions League spot. I'm actually surprised that the Europa League conversation was more interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I honestly feel that, like, you could have no English teams in the quarterfinals of the Champions League next year. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that suddenly the Premier League is terrible. Nope. It just means that some stuff happened. Yes. That's about right. <laughs> That's about right. You ready for the next question? But we'll still question. talk about what that stuff was. Oh, yes. Of course we will. Yeah. Uh, yes. Next name. Next question comes from uh, James Gottermeyer, who asks, "What are the pros and cons of the leaked Champions League format change?" So this is this was sort of big news on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I feel like it wasn't necessarily big news in the whole world. The leaked Champions League format change. Like I yeah. haven't had people asking me about this. I haven't seen many people talking about this. I haven't seen other news reports about this. Weirdly, you haven't seen much. Uh, yeah, but uh, this week, um, ter- or last week, um, Tariq Panja, the journalist we mentioned earlier who uh, broke the Man City financial fair play stuff, um, he somehow got access to documents that UEFA are circulating of a new formulation for the Champions League in the year, starting in the mm-hmm. year 2024. Um, I think before we get to the pros and cons, maybe you and I will essentially break down what sure. these documents say. Mm-hmm. So I think it's worth noting that it seems mostly that these, this plan for the new Champions League format has been developed in association with the European Club Association, yep. which is essentially all the big money teams in Europe who are always leaning towards some sort of, we want more of us in the Champions League, mm-hmm. we want a European Super League, and they pressure UEFA to make the Champions League more friendly to the big teams, less friendly to the smaller yeah. teams. As an example, the chairman right now of the ECA, the European Club Association, 
is also the Juventus chairman, right? Yeah. So that's the type of team that is really interesting. No conflict of interest there at all, <laughs> sure. In this stuff. Okay, are you ready to break down the, the 2024 Champions League proposed format? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, and so worth noting, I guess, yes, I am. I wanted to add, though, that like this is the proposed format, and they've said, oh, we're looking at a couple different formats and a couple different possibilities. What the people who seemed opposed to this kept pointing out was that this is the only thing we were presented, and they had lots of like charts and graphs about how it would work yeah. for this one plan and uh-huh. nothing else. And Yeah, it does seem like they're saying to the smaller teams, do you want to maybe be part of this, or yeah. do you definitely not want to be part of this? Yeah, exactly. Take your choice. Um, so the idea <laughs> would be uh, you'll have three different competitions now. Yep. Uh, the top tier would still be, I guess, the Champions League. Yep, 32 30, teams. 32 teams in it, the difference being that it would be a much bigger group stage. It would be, what, four groups of eight teams each? Yeah, so instead of eight groups of four, four groups of eight, which yeah. means gigantic, essential league table-looking uh, yes. group stages. We're not sure of the format. We can get into that later or not. But it was basically, it seems like then, uh, the top four teams in each group would advance to the round of 16. So yep. you still have 16 teams go through. Then you have the knockout round. So that's the top one. Some of the issue that I've seen there was that of the 32, the idea would be that 24 teams are guaranteed a spot in the next year's competition. Yep. So qualification for the 2025 Champions League yep. would just be finish in the what mm-hmm. four groups, so top six. Yep. Finish in the top six in your eight-team group, and you'll definitely still be there next year. So the big idea is that it guarantees if you're um, Juventus, mm-hmm. you don't even have to care whether you win Serie A or not. You just have to finish top six in the Champions League, and you're back in the Champions League yep. next year. And yeah. then this is this is based on the reporting. So so like maybe this changes, I'm not sure. But like and so then maybe you could see it as like, okay, well, if you're gonna go the European Super League route and the big clubs are gonna force their way into something, at least it's still like an opportunity for eight clubs to come in and kind of challenge them and try stuff, except it's not. Because then the other wrinkle is that so those six teams in each group are automatically safe, so that we theoretically would think then that two teams from each of the four groups are then in some sort of relegation situation. We don't know how the promotion relegation works. But the big picture thing that we haven't touched on yet is that. Right. So I think 30, what I'm getting to here is that only four teams can go up. Well, no, I think the big picture thing we need to touch uh-huh. on first to let people understand is that the three tiers you mentioned, 32 teams in the top tier, yeah. which is essentially the Champions League, uh-huh. 32 teams in the second tier, yeah. 64 teams in the third tier uh-huh. with promotion relegation between the three competitions. Yeah, which, right? is, which again is, is okay, I think. It still is confusing to me then about how you qualify for the next year's one if you're in the third tier or the second tier. I'm, I'm assuming more teams get in. Yeah. But all I wanted to point out was just that only really four new teams can come into the top tier one every season. That's from the reporting, right? Yeah. But it's not detailed exactly how they figure that. out. My no. guess is they haven't fully figured it out, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's still like, so even then it's not even a like, oh, well, at least a quarter of the teams are going to be new entrants every season. Mm-hmm. Nope, it will be an eighth of teams. And, and it, so that, to me, is a big difference. It also means if you are a sort of, um, say, a newly, a newly successful team, like yeah. say a Leicester City-type mm-hmm. team, um, and you win your domestic league, I don't know how you end up in the very top tier, except maybe you have to start in the third tier. Maybe you win one of those third tier groups. Maybe then win one of those second tier groups. And you have to have like a long period of sustained success mm-hmm. um, and some sort of financial backing to make that happen for you to be able to penetrate that very top tier. And the, so I want to start with the first con that yeah. I have is I think this will essentially be an, not an officially closed shop, but a, a door that's so almost closed. There's just a tiny gap and you can maybe get your toe in it. Mm-hmm. So it's possible to get to the top tier, but it's it's going to be a tough, tough fight for a smaller team to do that. Which I, I'm thinking I, of Wolves, someone like Wolves who are kind of on the up right now. Maybe Wolves are too late to get their foot in the door before this all happens. Yeah, right? yeah. And like, 
we're going to talk Game of Thrones later, so I'm not going to spoil anything <laughs> now. But there was like a quote this season from a character about how like yeah, all like the lord like the lords of the noble houses now they got there by like their ancestors being maybe less noble. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like these teams are all kind of forgetting that like they're fortunate in the position that they're in, looking specifically in your direction, PSG, who I'm assuming would be involved and would be in one of those 24 teams that's automatically there. Yeah, but well, they're part of the ECA, right? So yeah. yeah. But six years ago, seven years ago. Like so, what happens if if somebody wants to be the new PSG? Mm-hmm. They have to buy a team and then work their way up. I'm not like bemoaning like oh these poor billionaire owners. What are they going to do now? What I'm saying is that I think to your point, does somebody invest in Leicester with the opportunity of maybe we get to play in the Champions League and all these exciting moments, or is it do we spend five billion pounds to buy Atletico yeah. Madrid because they're already in there and that's an easier way to get into those competitions? I think a really simple way to underline this is right now you could just win your domestic league and you get into the 32 team Champions yeah. League. Um, in the future, it may be winning your domestic league is only enough to get you into the third-tier competition, and then you have to scrabble your way up. Yeah. 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 And so I think, though, that like if we've, we've done that kind of con, I've tried to do some pros. Yeah, okay. I mean, and I think <laughs> like if you're a fan – I'm calling it the Security Council, the 24 teams that are going to be there forever. Okay. If you're a fan of like one of the Security Council teams, then you're probably more okay with it, especially – Of course you are. And I say this as like – a fan of Manchester United who, if this happened 10 years ago, I would probably be less opposed to it. If I'm being totally honest, that makes me not really proud of myself, but it's the reality of like, oh, sweet. Like now I get to watch Manchester United play all these really exciting teams. But if you're from Manchester, if you've been like born and bred with some of the like, I hate Leeds, I want to beat Leeds every season if we can, or I want to beat them in the cup, or I want to play Man City, I guess you'll get to play them in the Champions League. But it, it kind of changes the way things are I think if you're like a local fan I think it decreases Wait, we, local are, fandom are we assuming that like the teams playing in this in this mm-hmm. new format Champions League will not participate at all in the domestic league because that's not my understanding at all my understanding is that they will still play in the domestic league but just also have all these Champions League games as well I, yes I think there's I think there's probably contingencies that if if the Premier League for example or the FA says like no you have to make a choice I think some English clubs would maybe choose to play in the Super yeah. League so I think there's contingencies for that but I guess I mean more so that if you're guaranteed a spot in the Champions League every year and you're guaranteed to be playing these like massively important opponents maybe that just becomes glorified friendlies and you care more about the league but yeah. I think the opposite is also true that you might just be like well who cares about the Premier League I'm raking in all this money playing here and I, I don't want to finish fifth in my eight team group I want to finish third so I'm prioritizing all those games I'm resting yeah. on players for the domestic leagues yeah so the short version of the con it, the con to this is that essentially mm-hmm. it devalues domestic leagues yeah because I, believe it I started this as a pro by the way much- <laughs> <laughs> yeah one pro that i could see is teams from smaller countries whose mm-hmm. domestic league cannot make them sort of yeah. financially a global superstar team teams like say celtic or ajax or benfica this is a path for them mm-hmm. to become global gigantic teams once again yes right if they can establish themselves in the top if Ajax and Celtic could establish themselves in the top tier of the 32 team Champions League and always be in that top 24 mm-hmm. um, suddenly their financial situation is much much improved and they could start to genuinely genuinely compete with the likes of uh, Barcelona and so on uh, going forward yeah so there's a chance for those big teams of the past to become big teams of the future by Virtue of being in this Champions League. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think also uh, with those smaller teams, which will uh, like logically be in the second and third tiers of these competitions if it comes to pass, mm-hmm. I also think that similar to what we've been talking about, it's a bit of a stretch, but similar to what we've been talking about with Europa League, now English teams specifically looking at it as like, oh, that's an easy or easier or easy-ish way to get to the Champions League. Maybe that's how some of these smaller teams see this is like, okay, we can build up and build up and then eventually we can make it to this top tier. And so maybe you have these competitions meaning 
as much or more to these teams than we expect. Because like the second and third, team yeah. Because my fear yeah. is that like the second that team becomes well. the championship, and no one is really that focused on it, aside from people who care about those teams in that competition. Yeah. But if it is a, sort of a, a way to move to the next level, then maybe these teams do prioritize, I mean, and it becomes that much more interesting. Look at what we talked about in the first question. We talked mm-hmm. about how English teams didn't really value the Europa League. They didn't value lifting the Europa League trophy. Yeah. What they've suddenly come to value is qualification what to the means. Champions yeah. League, right? Mm-hmm. So the second and third tier could become important purely as access to the first tier, yeah. right? Which at least it does make it interesting, yeah. right? And if you're a Celtic fan, I could see you getting all invested in winning the second tier and joining the top tier and then the glory days are back and all the money comes flooding into your team. I could absolutely see that. Yeah. Here's a con for you though. Um, right now, there's obviously a disparity between the wealth of big teams mm-hmm. and slightly smaller teams. This will magnify that wealth oh, gap. Yeah. The wealth gap can always be worse, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah, and yeah. will be because, I mean, I think, uh, I forget, was it the owner of Leicester who was talking about or the new owner of Leicester who was talking about how, like, basically, like, he's, I forget which club it was, but, like, that sponsors have kind of been hesitant to commit to any sort of sponsorship deal because if oh. this happens... Do you really want to compete like when there's going to be significantly fewer eyes on your product or like yeah. your your team that you're sponsoring? Yeah, yeah, the business of smaller teams could get a lot tougher in yeah. domestic leagues. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I and I think like turning towards the sponsorship corporate route, I also think that there's a level of like corporate thinking to this from some of these teams of if oh, we do you think? Well, I mean, I mean, but like in a I think it's all corporate thinking. Let me rephrase that in like a corp- corporate short sighted when it comes to soccer sort of way uh-huh. that like so many of these teams, it seems like the idea is once we're in that top tier, which I think a few of these teams would write themselves in, mm-hmm. uh, then we're going to be in there. It's going to be more money than we can even like deal with. We're going to have Scrooge McDucky and vaults everywhere. Uh, and so then we're going to be fine because we can just always buy the biggest players. But I think, as we've seen many, many times over, I mean, how many times have PSG won the Champions League, even though they can buy the best players? Like, that doesn't guarantee success. And so I feel like some of these teams, like, may end up getting a ton of players and having a ton of money, but that doesn't mean they're going to be good. And I, th- and I also think that some of these teams are looking at this as, like, we're always going to be competitive and it's going to be great, whereas I could see a ton of these teams consistently struggling. And then do their teams want to watch them finish fifth or sixth in this Champions League competition every year? I don't but know. Don't, don't they still then, you would still have PSG, assuming they're still competing mm-hmm. in Liga, probably still winning league Gun. true right yeah so maybe we need to get to this idea so we said there's an, a group of eight teams yeah. four groups of eight mm-hmm. that's if you only play to the once it's seven games if you play home and away it's 14 games yep. and we don't know we don't know from and then a knockout round competition and then a knockout round competition right. from Tariq Panja's story it's not made clear whether it would be home and away 14 games in the group mm-hmm. stage or just one game randomly home or away seven games I think that makes a huge difference I think it's a 14 game group stage I think it's really difficult to compete in your domestic league. Yep. Yeah? Yeah. Seven-game group stage is only, what, one more than you play right now? So uh, one fewer, I think, right? No, because you're, 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 you're one more. Yeah, 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 yeah one you're, more yeah. than you play now. You play six games yeah. right now in the 14 mm-hmm. group stage, right? Home and away. Only home or yeah. only away is seven games. I think it's still viable to compete in your domestic league. Yeah, I agree. I, so you're, you're if, right. If they did this, which would you prefer? Would you prefer just a clean breakaway, like just get rid of it and go, go play in your big Super League? Or would you prefer you've got to play in both? I mean, it's 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 tough. It genuinely is. I don't really have an answer aside from saying I don't think I want them to just completely break away. That that would feel too sad and corporate and soulless to me to just yeah. have like they're playing in their own mega competition and that's all that matters. Uh-huh. And it would I, be like the leftovers as well. For yeah, the, for the teams that True. are that are left behind, it's suddenly like oh, all these teams disappear. But like, or like after the finger snap, you'd just be a bunch of teams would disappear from domestic football. Less dramatically yeah. and less uh, dusty, but uh-huh. yes. Uh, but like, I also think, again, not trying to say like, like we're not in, in a particularly rough situation, but like, 
I don't want to have to cover that league, and that's the league we would have to cover. Like, and I don't the, mean that as the like leftovers domestically. No, I mean the the European Super Super League. Oh, okay. If it, that happened because why do you want to cover it? Because to me, it would just feel so like you guys just forced this th- through, and it's this oh. manufactured thing that there's no actual pressure. But you're going to kind of promote the idea that there's pressure and stress, and that's going to be all mm-hmm. against the biggest clubs, the biggest teams. Oh, it's so much to play for. Yeah. Except it's not. There's no pressure. Here's a con to me, and I don't really care about that. Uh, picking up on that, mm-hmm. eight team group stage. Yeah. Top four goes through to the round of 16. There's, that's a lot of teams. Yeah. That's half of the league goes through to the round of 16. I could easily see the actual top four teams mm-hmm. towards the end of the group stage exactly. being not that competitive. Because like, do we finish second or third or fourth yeah. or first? Well, I mean, I'm Don't sure matter. there'll be seeding for who you play, but you're going to play a big team anyway in yep. the next round. So it's not as if you, it's really valuable to finish first versus fourth. Yeah. Maybe financially it is, but I think the drama would be taken out of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I guess for me, like again, this is a personal thing, but like, what we have kind of built this show on is we have found that the games that have the most eyeballs tend, or that we think will have the most eyeballs tend to have the most eyeballs. And those are the big Champions League games, the big World Cup games, and then games that we've thought like, okay, like, we know there's a lot of uh, Arsenal fans who listen, and there's a lot of Newcastle fans. We'll do an Arsenal-Newcastle fan. Yeah. We see the numbers not kind of correspond to what we think. So that's what I mean when I say like, so if this league happened, we would have to talk about it because that's what the most eyes are going to be on. But it would feel sort of like, okay, great, they're playing another meaningless group stage game. Uh, I guess it'll matter in the knockout yeah. rounds. Like, we already sort of hate the group stage in the Champions League a little bit as it is. So, yeah, the group stage is the worst part of the Champions League. Yeah. Right? It's not terrible. It's still pretty good, but the knockout round is way more exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the group stage is the worst. And we're essentially talking about doubling the size of the group stage. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so we're doubling the worst part of the Champions League. Exactly. That's what they're planning to do in 2020. But they think there'll be drama because relegation, yeah. I guess. Uh, and then the other thing... I didn't even finish uh is that like so i don't want them to split away but what i would hate i think even more is a premier league or a bundesliga or la liga or Serie A where it's very clear that the teams that are in that competition that are always going to be in that competition don't really care and that it is sort of like oh now you're seeing manchester united play their u21s well probably not manchester united they were yeah. seeing liverpool play their u21s any. or whatever exactly um and like like against you know everton this used to be this really exciting derby, and now it sort of is not at that level. And that would be really frustrating and kind of saddening. Okay, so if you'd like to read the um, the mm-hmm. original, hopefully you've got 10, 10 of your free New York Times articles left uh, this month. If you'd like to read the Tariq Panja story, I'm editing today's show, so I will put the link in the show notes. Um, if you've run out, then Incognito is your friend. <laughs> Ready for the next question? I am. Uh, Shreyas Romani. Uh, Arjen Robin, Mario Balotelli, Hamas Milner. Daniel Sturridge, Danny Welbeck, Andy Carroll, Olivier Giroud, and Vincent Company all walk into a bar, uh, are some <laughs> of the bigger players available on free transfers this summer. Do you think any of them end up in MLS? Uh, which would you most and least like to see in Major League Soccer? I think it's pretty unlikely that any of them end up in MLS. Okay. I'll say that. This summer, uh, you mean, or just ever? This summer. Okay. Yeah, that feels a bit too soon. Um I would both love and hate to see Vincent Company mm-hmm. there because I think he'd easily be the number one defender, maybe the number one player mm-hmm. in Major League Soccer if he signed for a team this summer. But man, he's injurious. Right. Well, the the, the yeah. artificial turf, the travel. He's mm-hmm. already doing limited minutes for Manchester City, right? So, yeah, Ryan and I talked about this on the Monday oh, show. Oh, did you? I'm sorry, like, I haven't heard it yet. Oh, it's all good. Um, basically, that our expectation is that he'll probably do another season with them, even fewer minutes, but maybe, like, I think Ryan said he's already coaching their U16s. Yes. And so I think he'll transition into, like, an ambassadorial coaching role. And yeah. then maybe, like, Patrick Vieira it, get a gig elsewhere. Um, so, I, but, like, I know it's not like they're actually asking us, like, which one is realistically going to happen, mm-hmm. but that does always kind of factor into my considerations here. I do feel like... Il- 
Olivier Giroud would do well in Portland. I think Olivier Giroud. Why? He's just, he's got the beard, but I could see him sitting in like a coffee shop wearing a flannel shirt. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I think I think he could just do well there. I do think at some point uh, Mario Balotelli finds his way to Miami or whatever we're going to end up calling them. So he's my choice for the mm-hmm. player I'd most like to see yep. in Major League Soccer on a short term deal. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. That's what I think should happen. Have you, do you know the Mario Balotelli story this year? Oh uh, no. So okay, so you know he's doing really well for Nice. Yeah. Right. So start of preseason, um, he. Came, he turned up a little bit um, overweight. Mm-hmm. Patrick Vieira was not impressed, so he was like not not part of the Patrick Vieira's plans. Mm-hmm. In January, they mutually terminated Mario Balotelli's contract. He joined Marseille on a short-term deal. That's why his contract is up this summer. Is he just signed this like six-month deal with Marseille? He's always playing for a new contract, Gotta right? That way, yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he scored, I think, something like eighteen, twelve, or something mm-hmm. like that. He's done really well because Mario Balotelli scores goals. He's a wonderful, wonderful soccer player. He also brings drama, which I think, in a weird way, MLS still needs. Mm-hmm. Like some of this Latin drama has been good for MLS, just in terms of getting people talking. So that's why I think Mario Balotelli on a short-term designated player deal would really like turn around a season or raise hopes and expectations in a place like Colorado yeah. or Cincinnati or New England. A team that needs a boost could definitely do a few months of Mario Balotelli. I would love to throw see... the money at him, make it short term. I wouldn't mind seeing Mike Pecky try to handle Mario Balotelli. Yeah. I think you need because I think he has to have a manager who sort of like can embrace the eccentricities is yeah. the way I'm going to put that one, but also still have like, an control over shoulder, right? And I don't know actually if he would be willing to listen to Mike Petke. No disrespect to Mike Petke, it's just Mario Balotelli seems like that type to be like, but like you're an American, whatever. And I feel like that's where like Tata Martino at Atlanta probably would have been the best possible coach <laughs> for Mario Balotelli in Major League Soccer. I'm yeah. not sure where else would be great aside from the inevitable chaos of Miami's first team. <laughs> Slash FC Fort Lauderdale or whatever it's going to be. Either way, I think he'd be super enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Sturridge, Andy Carroll, Danny Welbeck, all too many injuries, yep. I think, uh, to come to Major League Soccer. And, ju- and honestly, just don't have th- that, like, they all have, like, decent profile, don't get me wrong, but it's they're it's all going to be, like, kind of TAM signings that people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, that's exciting, I guess. Like, Liverpool fans will probably be excited about Daniel Sturridge, I mean, but don't get not me wrong, to that level. If any of those three were fit mm-hmm. and played in MLS, they'd score a ton of goals. Oh, they'd score a ton of goals, yeah. yeah I just, it doesn't have that, like... You kind of got to have like branding or the ability still or like the drive. You have to have like two of those three things, if yeah. not all three. And I would worry about some of them. And I guess you have fitness, so maybe three of the yeah. four. There I would enjoy some glory for Danny Welbeck. I've always, I've always basically liked him mm-hmm. and just he's had his moments, but it's yeah. never, it's never been like a consistent. Oh, Danny Welbeck is the man. Mm-hmm. He was that guy for a bit. Remember he was, all that? Yes. I would like him to to be that again. So maybe I could if he if he was fit and had a long term deal in MLS, maybe that could work. Maybe it could work. Let's get maybe Jeff Cameron the New England. Could we get that one happening? I I'm not interested in seeing Jeff Cameron. I'm also uh, joking because it's Bruce Arena oh, at New course. England. <laughs> I don't think they get along. One I, I suddenly think is more realistic is like Omar Gonzalez somehow eventually ends up in New England. Yeah. Uh, so you're welcome for that, New England fans. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Um, okay, James Milner. I want mm-hmm. to talk about this for a second. Apparently, he's not actually out of contract this summer. So I read some reports. So everyone says he's out of contract in 2019. Transfer market has him out of contract in 2019. Um, I found a story. James Pierce of the Liverpool Echo says, essentially, that's been misreported and he has a contract till 2020. Ah. So I think Hammers Milner is fine at Liverpool. And he's not. He's going to stay for another year, right? Why yeah. would you not after the season? After the season, he's had? and he can. I mean, he he. We haven't seen his level dip, so yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll stick around. Which leaves Iron Robin. This yeah. is the in a weird way. This is the most interesting one. He's thirty five years old. Mm-hmm. Would that be that sort of MLS retirement league thing if Iron Robin turned up an MLS team? Because again, Mario Batelli, I think, is at like twenty eight, twenty nine. So you can say still in or near his prime, right? Iron Robin, thirty five. I think it probably would, yes. Yeah? Uh, I, I like Arian Robin, but he's one that I would say 
like I don't I don't think I know him at all outside of soccer. <laughs> like, and that's probably because I haven't read very much about him. But you know what I mean? Like, he's not a person who I think of like has wanted to live in the United States or has expressed an interest in playing in Major League Soccer aside from when he gets asked that when they're on preseason tours. Yeah. But like, I don't see that connection that would make him want to like push himself. I've never heard him talk about like I want to try new things. I want to experience different leagues. He mentioned wanting to, to try MLS. That's why I bring you. When did it's he mention right? that? I don't know. I don't know when this. Because I just I, I want to clarify again that every single preseason game that I have ever ever covered there is inevitably somebody says what do you think of mls and the player oh when european teams are touring the u.s yeah and the player says like oh you know it would be a dream to play in america someday and then that becomes front and center arian robin says he wants mls move and it's like oh he didn't really though he did not really say that. we should look that up when when did he say that yeah so i don't know i mean i think he would probably be the biggest splash but you're probably only getting yeah a year out of Mm -hmm. him and then who knows he's a great use for arian robin uh lafc should sign Mm -hmm. him and anytime carlos vela is injured or he seems not that interested in international duty anymore Mm -hmm. but anytime he's away in international duty you could have him cutting on the right on his left foot right. instead of Carlos Vela. I'm down for that. So he'd be like a Carlos Vela replacement. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. What's really going to happen is Ian Robin's going to go and spend a year in the Netherlands, right? Playing probably. Eredivisie. Olivier Giroud is probably going to go and spend a year or two in France. I feel like most of these players prefer to go home than to go to the United States. Olivier Giroud in, like, for NYCFC, again. Ooh, okay. He, he looks good in whatever color he wears. But I feel like, <laughs> like a sky blue for him. I could see that working. All right, so final answers. Mine mm. is Mario Balotelli. Definitely would love to see it. Yeah. Vincent Company would hate to see it just because I fear for his injuries. Yep. I, I, I'll, yeah, I'll echo that. I think Mario yeah. Balotelli is the one that I would most enjoy because I think he would bring a lot of like ability and amazing goals to the league, but then we would also still get those Mario Balotelli moments of like, yeah, he did that. That doesn't sound that surprising. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Before we move on to the next question, mm-hmm. let's get to today's sponsor. Let's do it. Today's show is sponsored by Talisman Caps, our friends at Talisman Caps. That is right. We've got some Talisman Caps sitting on the desk in front of us. Mr. Yeah, we Christian do. Polanco was kind enough to send us the... Uh, the Cooligans Talisman uh, crossover hat with Stay yeah. Gully on the back. Yep. Uh, I posted a photo, a, a photo montage on Instagram of them roughing up an MLS hat, which <laughs> definitely happened. Definitely <laughs> really, happened. That's a really nice story. I try. Kind of scary try. though, right? That the hat's moving around. On I the mean, desk. Yeah. you wouldn't expect. They crept out, man. They, they snuck <laughs> onto that desk. They're sneaky. They're sneaky. Oh, the Cooligan hats. To repeat a joke, actually, that- one one is sneaky. One is very loud. And I don't know how a hat can be loud, but it finds a way. <laughs> so that one's Alexis. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> to repeat a joke on you, I've used mm. on you before. Buy this Cooligans hat and you will definitely look like a dope. No, sorry. You will definitely look dope. You will look dope if you get a Cooligans hat funny. from talismancaps.com. It's still funny. But it does make us wonder, though. So the Cooligans hat, it has uh, Cooligans on the front. It's got mm-hmm. Stay Gully on the back. It does not have any sort of like image of Alexis or Christian, but we know there are many Talisman Caps yes, that do have... The, the icons, right? Exactly. I think this is Giroud Scorpion, actually, is, Ooh, okay. is on there. But yeah, there's, there's Valderrama, there's Mia mm-hmm. Hamm, loads of the uh, Talisman icon hats. Yeah. Were you about to ask me which of the players just mentioned Yes. would you like to see on a talisman cap i was okay. uh, do you have an answer because i can give you mine if you're if you need a moment i'll Let's take yours first um it, again this may already exist they have many hats i don't believe i've seen it but i feel like a balotelli uh with the bleach blonde and why always me yeah sure i feel like that's one that you could definitely uh-huh. see and maybe you just transfer that to whatever mls club he ends up playing for and it works out there too <laughs> i would like um an iron robin one mm-hmm. it's like a hologram and he starts on the right side of the hat but if you move your head he switches to the left okay so he cuts across the top you want a hologram hat? Yes. I feel like you would actually you know, wear that. I don't know if you had these like when, uh, like on cereal boxes when you were a kid and stuff. Just those oh, holograms, yeah. not not hologram. I like know what the, you mean. It, it's not like, hologram like the two pack hologram. I'm yeah. talking about the the thing that you move and it changes. 
What's the difference between a hologram and a holograph? I don't know. All right. It's one of those. Know. But I know what you mean. It's yeah. like the comic book cards that would show different things based yeah. on the light. Yeah. I like that. I, I personally, though, it's a thing that I think we've talked about many times when it comes to Arian Robin is like the duck wing run that he's got going on where he kind of like tucks in and he's got the <laughs> – and I, I, I feel like that's a good hat just to see him like – Tucked in, like uh, I guess, like what hands but under his armpits, like Mary uh-huh. Catherine Gallagher style, but still running. <laughs> I want the Aryan Robin Duckwing hat. Well, but how about a James Milner one, just standing there being boring? Yep, <laughs> it just says boring James just Milner. Cup of tea in his hand. Yes, perfect. <laughs> or it says the other Hammers. <laughs> I would, I would, t- I would buy all those hats. My other Hammers is a Rodriguez. Uh, I would buy all those hats. I think we're stumbling upon the reason why we've never been asked to design any hats. Yes, luckily uh, their designs are way better. Yeah, luckily the co-founder uh, Dustin mm. actually is a designer and a former pro soccer player, mm-hmm. and he knows which designs look good. Yes. So no, no Iron Robin hologram, no James Milner standing there being boring. No, see, and I think, and I think ours are. <laughs> A little too obvious, if anything, because like I go back to the Pirlo hat, which I really love and I wear frequently. Oh, please describe it. It's the it's uh, I have the pink one, but it's Andrea Pirlo wearing uh, his Juve jersey, not the new Juve jersey. Yeah, the Gucci jersey. Yeah. Yes, uh, and it's him striking a ball, but he has a glass of wine in one hand, and somehow I didn't really notice uh, until recently that he has a bottle of wine in the other. <laughs> but it's such a like you got to top it up. Right? Yeah, exactly. But he's just so graceful that he'll never spill a drop, and you believe that, and it kind of further tells the story of Andrea Pirlo <laughs> in the hat, and that's what I enjoy about it. So if any of those real hats mm. not the imaginary ones if the real hats sound good including the Kooligans one you can go to talismancaps.com talismancaps.com use the discount code TOTALSOCCER20 TOTALSOCCER20 for 20% off any order of $35 or more all hats cost $35 so basically any hat you get 20% off with TOTALSOCCER20 beautiful thank you very much to Talisman Caps for sponsoring today's episode and again it is getting hotter outside summer's coming you're going to be outside watching uh, sporting events or watching your kids play sporting events or just being outdoors Talisman Talisman Caps keep the sun out of your eyes it works very well is it sunny in Minnesota yet? probably maybe not I don't know (laughs) next question is from the lands of always winter I don't know Xander Pennington Mm -hmm. Xander Pennington wants to know if you could pick any player in the world to build a new team around money is no question whom would you pick so, so one I, player to build a team around I mistakenly read this as if you could pick one young player and that kind of has informed my answer well, that kind of makes sense right yeah. if you're going to build a team around one player you might as well make it someone who's going to last a while I mean except that I might go Virgil van Dijk if I were kind of okay. reevaluating this I think maybe Virgil van Dijk I is think, the player I want leading well, my team so I nearly picked Virgil van Dijk mm-hmm. I know he's 27 years old yeah. he's in his prime right now if, if you're 25 I'd say yep He's still got a good four or five years in his prime, at mm-hmm. least, maybe, maybe more. So I think Virgil van Dijk is an absolutely fine yeah, But pick. if we're starting a team in like the bottom of, of the English leagues, man, we've got to find our way to get up. We don't know the context of this, dude. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to yeah. picture this as maybe we're just dropping a team in the Champions League and you've got to just start some, building a team. It's a monster situation. It's a monster we, we, situation. We have to space jam it. We yeah. have to beat some like uh-huh. uh, evil opposition. Yes. All right. All right. Um, so I, why, why Virgil van Dijk? I mean, I think just because we've talked about him so many times on this show, but everything he offers, uh, first of all, the defensive presence, we've talked about it many times, the way he's able to close down angles, force like 3v1s into 1v1s into shots that don't end up happening. Yeah, yeah. I think his positioning is excellent. He's physically imposing. He wins many, many things in the air, both defensively and then obviously can score yeah. goals. But it's like his leadership, uh, there was the goal... That they scored against Newcastle, maybe off the free kick. That like he tells Shakiri to go take it instead of yep. letting Chen Alexander Arnold. So like you've got that kind of leadership and direction there. So I think he brings 
all of that to the equation. He's like a younger, less injured Vincent Company and slightly taller, I think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah those two together in their prime would have been uh-huh. a fearsome combination. I would have enjoyed that <laughs> very much. But he was not on my list, actually. That, that's, my, that's my answer now that I'm reading this question. But when I thought it was young players, I see. my hype answer was maybe Frankie de Jong, maybe Matthias de Ligt. But that's maybe a little bit more recency biased. My other answer would be Kylian Mbappe. Why Kylian Mbappe? I mean, so it's kind okay. of a stupid question I just asked. Well, but. no, because I've gone two different <laughs> routes with this one. Because if we like, first of all, to go with the player himself, unbelievable abilities in terms of he has the like blazing pace. We saw that on display in the Champions League on several occasions this season in the World Cup uh, prior to that. That he just has this like acceleration and this closing speed that is outstanding. But that's not what his entire game is based on. He's mm-hmm. got like the technical ability, the ab- ability to kind of like size up and read a defender in half a second and exploit any sort of vulnerability he spots. Yeah. can obviously score, so he's always going to give you goals. But he's also a proven name, and that's the that's the other thing that if we're starting Oh, a you club, could sell Mbappe jerseys. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he woke up winner. And you could attract other players. We're like, hey, you mm-hmm. want to come play with Killian? You know you we do. We got him. Exactly. We got him right here. So I think if you're looking at like young players, he'd probably be the one. Mm. If you're looking at slightly more veteran players, then it would be Virgil van Dijk for me. I think um, a good argument for van Dijk, he ended up as my second choice, mm-hmm. but I'm glad we got to talk about him yeah. a lot, is that... Good defenders are so hard to come by. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the improvement in Liverpool since they signed Virgil van Dijk. That there is a good argument for like making that your starting rock to build everything out around, mm-hmm. right? Okay, but I've gone Frankie de Jong. Yep. So young, twenty-two, um, but kind of like experienced enough already that he's not. Like, I was wondering why you made a face when I said Frankie de Jong, or rather, you did make a face. You just stared at me. And well, like, you're I'd, right. I'm going to take it. I said to you before, <laughs> I've got two picks, yeah. and what I'm going to do is, if you pick one of them, I'll know which one to go with. Yeah. And then I thought you were going to pick Virgil Van Dyke. Oh, but actually, Frankie de Jong. <laughs> and then all my picks would be would be out the window. Um, here's why Frankie de Jong, I think, would be the great sort of centerpiece of um, a starting team. Doesn't quite have the name recognition of say Kylian mm-hmm. Mbappe, right? But I think. He is a player that can define how your team plays, yep. right? If you decide that you want a, to build a team around Frankie de Jong, then you're going to have a team that is um, kind of like Ajax in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a passing team. It's a pressing team. It's a team of like intelligence. It's a team with a bit of pace. Frankie de Jong has incredible acceleration. And it's a team that takes really brave risks, right? Mm-hmm. Frankie de Jong does some risky, risky things, risky passes, risky dribbles, gets away with it, yep. right? So that's why Frankie de Jong would be my centerpiece. I would build an entire team around and I'll build the team sort of in the image of Frankie de Jong. Yeah. Like every player that I buy after that would complement Frankie de Jong. Uh, yeah, I had I had a, a lot of those same reasons. The other one I had for Frankie de Jong is that, and I think you kind of hit on this as well, that like so many players that I thought about including in here are like, oh, but if it was like this system or that doesn't quite work or you don't quite have this, I agree with you that I think like literally part of the reason why I think everybody was after him uh, or leading this summer that there were so many rumors is that like he could kind of play for every team that I can think of. Like yeah. I think he could go to City. Yes, he's got a few of those reckless moments. But yeah, he'd be the new Fernandinho. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think Guardiola, under Guardiola, he may probably cuts some of that out and like kind of learns to play that system. I think if he went to Liverpool, he would fit that system perfectly. I think he could play for Bayern Munich, for Real Madrid, for Barcelona. Obviously, he will be playing for Barcelona. And yeah. I think that that is another thing that you see how kind of diverse his superior abilities are mm-hmm. and that is a rare rare thing here's my other reason is my first instinct was to say Sergio Busquets ah. and then I was like oh, he's 30 maybe not because you do mm-hmm. need a young player if you're going to build a whole team around and who's the young Sergio Busquets it's kind of Frankie de Jong also Sergio yeah. Busquets is surrounded by uh, not very good players and you're all trying to he's trying to play like one touch passes He's not going to have that big of an impact. Well, I'll sign good players to play with him. Okay. All yeah. right. Cool. <laughs> We're not going to sign Frankie de Jong or Sergio Busquets and a bunch of no-hopers. Nah. Ready say for that the- now. We'll see what happens. Ready for the next question. I am indeed. Uh, it comes from Ryan LaRose. Uh, if Game of Thrones Season 8 were a soccer club, which team would it be? At this point, we say, first of all, you just did the Keenan Thompson thing again. You're reading along the questions with me, and I love it. Second of all, uh, we... 
toyed, or at least I toyed with the idea of like trying to do this without spoiling anything, uh, yeah, I failed. So yes. if you haven't seen season eight or you don't want to know anything about Game of Thrones like after the books yeah. or anything like if that. For some reason you've seen nothing and you're planning yeah. to watch it in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like, or if you just haven't seen season eight. Yeah. Massive spoiler alert right now. Yes. We will tell you sort of how far forward you need to skip to mm-hmm. miss this entire section. So you cannot accuse us of anything. I'm deliberately sort of vamping and talking in longer sentences yep. here to make sure I'm giving you plenty of time to make the decision to press pause. If you're driving, pull over, press pause. <laughs> or, yeah, or fast forward or frantically mute or rip your earphones out. I've done that yeah. before. I've ripped my earbuds out when uh, there was like a, somebody spoiled something, like started talking about The Wire before I had seen it oh. uh, many, many years ago. Yeah. Yes. Or press the off button. That's yeah, easy, right? That works yeah. too. Okay, so uh, plenty of spoiler warning just happened, right? Uh-huh. We're going to spoil Game of Thrones. We are. Yeah. And I think we're going to talk about the same team. I mean, team. some people have already spoiled Game of Thrones. We're going to talk about the same team, aren't we? Benny from What? Excuse me? We're going to talk about the same team here, aren't we? <laughs> Hey, this is Daryl cutting in with the very final spoiler warning. If you want to click ahead to after this question, go to just after the 50th minute. I think we are. Okay. So the question again from Ryan LaRose was, if Game of Thrones Season 8 were a soccer club, which team would it be? Yeah. I do think we have the same answer. What's yours? I mean, people, be- people better buckle up because I already sort of went on a rant yesterday about Manchester United, but it's Manchester United. And I also have feelings on season eight of the Game of Thrones, uh, which are similar to my feelings on Manchester <laughs> United right now. So, yeah. Can I do my answer first then? Because I've got this weird feeling that yours is going to be a lot longer, both in terms of Game of Thrones what? and in terms of Manchester United. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So mm-hmm. the reason that Manchester United is Game of Thrones season eight is... They still have a big reputation Mm -hmm. because of past success. Mm -hmm. But there is no one looking at the big picture and taking care of the finer details. Yep. (laughs) There's no director of football, to me, is the equivalent of there's no more George R.R. Martin providing the details and the structure that that used to make Mm -hmm. everything work. And in the place of George R.R. Martin slash director of football, they're making a lot of... um, attempted shortcut decisions that they think make sense but actually don't and by that I mean Alexis Sanchez yep <laughs> and signings like it's weird that. that he was in both right he, yep. he was that spare cast member yes he, he, was, the, he, coming. he, was, the, he was the next Ed Sheeran he was the night king <laughs> the other thing is yeah. that um, in the absence of say um, long term planning mm-hmm. and plotting um Game of Thrones is relying really heavily on actors to overperform. Yep. And I think that's what Man United are doing to players like Paul Pogba and Romelu Lukaku. Like in the absence of everything else, they're just hoping that, well, Paul Pogba was expensive and he won the World Cup. Maybe he can fix everything for us. They're doing the same thing to say Peter Dinklage having to carry a lot of weight mm-hmm. in scenes where maybe the writing's not so good, but he's just somehow dragging you through that scene. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that that... All, All of right. that checks out, my so friend. So there's, there's my Man United and Game of Thrones no, I mean, you, rant. You, yeah, I, I pretty much concur with everything you said. Oh, sorry, I, just, I thought you were going to be completely different. And I mean, I mean, somewhat. I okay. mean, mine's a little bit more ranty. Uh, because, <laughs> first of all, I think Manchester United sort of, I'm not Manchester United, but like have sort of theoretical direct connections to House Stark. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. So, I, as I recall, a major sort of inspiration for George R. R. Martin in writing the Song of Ice and Fire was the uh, 99 Champions League final. is uh, the War of the Roses. Okay, which yeah. it's, it's like the kind of feud uh, which yeah. like, bleeds into modern football with Manchester and Leeds. Uh-huh. I think Leeds were the like the equip like Leeds supporters were what the Lancasters, which would be the Lannisters, and then Manchester would be like House Stark, basically House York. So I think that there's even that connection there. But I would say Manchester United for more specific reasons relating to this season, and I sort of looked at it from that regard. Season eight, season or eight, season 2017, 18, 2018, 19. That both basically. <laughs> All right. So heading into the new season of Game of Thrones. 
heading into the new season for Manchester United. Lots of excitement, uh, as it felt like the table was set for very big moments. But there are concerns about the direction of the, pe- the people in charge are taking both things. Uh-huh. As you said earlier, uh, an old wizard seen as responsible for creating the dynasty is no longer involved anymore, George R.R. R. Martin. Or Sir Alex Ferguson, but they're still there. Like I feel like I keep seeing George R. R. Martin at premiere events and talking about stuff. Yeah, Sir Alex yeah. Ferguson there all the time. Early successes. I wish, I wish Ferguson also had a blog. That would be hilarious. <laughs> the idea of him having to write a blog would be my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. He's so furious and probably a little inebriated. Um, but early successes and things seem to be going smoothly. I did enjoy the first two episodes of this season. Mm-hmm. There were early season where it was like, oh, okay, they're clicking. Didn't David Moyes win his first game like 4-0 or something? I, don't I remember know. him thrashing Swansea. I mean, that was, that was a ways ago. I'm talking about literally this oh, season. this that, like, season, yeah. They started off okay under Jose Mourinho. There were yeah. moments where it was like, okay, yeah, see, we're starting to see it click. But then... There are a series of rocky moments, some of which did not make any sense, that culminate in the removal of key figures. Okay, uh, this is this where we get into real spoilers, right? If you yeah. somehow manage to listen to this part, you mm-hmm. haven't actually heard any spoilers until right now. This is your final spoiler yes. warning. So then, after the Long Night episode, some major characters, not as many as we thought, but some major characters are gone. I would equate that to Jose Mourinho being sacked. Yeah. Then He's the Night King. Well... Okay, I'll go that route. Uh, but then, and yeah, kind of disappears out of nowhere, and we're sort of surprised that he's gone and didn't quite understand what his motivations were the whole yeah. time. Yeah, that's Jose Mourinho. Uh, but then as, after he's gone, after the Night King is done, there's a surge for the better because things like it seems like things are improving. Because I would say the feast after the long night. Oh, yeah, yeah. I enjoy that. Everybody talking, you're seeing a lot of character development, you're seeing little moments. Yeah. Uh, and Tormund's all drunk. It's brilliant. Exactly. And I would say that that's the surge for Manchester United. They suddenly start performing again. Is that the early Ole yeah, years? The bad guy's gone. Yes, it's the early only moments but within those moments there are worrying signs that things are not right because indicators that like maybe things still aren't moving in the right direction i would say the coffee cup in that feast scene implies <laughs> yeah. that maybe things aren't really so focused and yeah. the as many people pointed out under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the expected goals there weren't nearly as many like, – well, there were like too many goals for how many were expected uh-huh. and it always felt like ooh that might come crashing back down so that makes Earth. sense because the expected coffees um, at that gathering was zero. Exactly. And there was one. <laughs> and yet there seemed to be See? one. See? Yeah. You're, you're picking up what I'm putting down here. <laughs> and then there are illogical moments from characters we think we understand from Manchester United. That would be David De Gea suddenly not being able to save a shot. Yeah. Uh, for Game of Thrones, it would be most of the characters. So he'd be like Tyrion making terrible decisions. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Tyrion and David De Gea stop making logical decisions. Uh, and it ends in destruction of a red building, which would be the blowing up of the squad, and oppressed small folk. And yes, I'm saying... Are you the small folk? Uh, all United fans are, and yes, I'm aware that that means that I'm saying that this season from United was the equivalent of a war crime, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> End of explanation. So that is how you answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I don't have anything else to add. Uh, basically, what I've done here is I think I've realized that George R. R. Martin was clearly – it was all foreshadowing the downfall of Manchester United. Yeah, that's what it, all, it all fits, Daryl. Yeah, it all fits. Huge fan. Plus, huge fan. remember how Ashley Young lost that hand and had to wear a golden hand the whole time? <laughs> yeah, it did slow him down. It was weird. It was weird. (laughs) Ashley Young is not Jamie Lannister. I don't know who he'd be. Next question. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Next question comes from... Can't really hold position. He'd be a lot better. He'd be a Dothraki. Can't really hold position. Kind of does what he wants, much to the chagrin of everybody around him. Antonio Valencia is one of the dead dragons. (laughs) All right. Owen Huang. Next question. Owen Huang wants to Mm. know, how can I monetarily support the US women's national team? Does buying merchandise from the US soccer store actually help? Or is there a way to tell US soccer, hey, all caps, this money goes to the women's team? Uh, to the second question, I do not know. I don't know if there's a way to specifically say I want this to go to the women's team because the only time I've ever 
given money to U.S. Soccer, I guess, was buying a jersey. But even then, I don't yeah. know if that goes back to them. So I guess maybe buying tickets, but writing on the ticket, like money, like, no, you can't pocket any of this. It's like when I pay my taxes, I can't say, um, I want all of this to go to healthcare and none of it to go to deportations. <laughs> yeah. They don't let you do that. Right? No. I mean, you could try they to put in the should. memo, but then you got to pay by check and nobody wants to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think my answer to this is to find out who their sponsors are, either the team or more specifically, the individual players. They all or at least a lot of the pe- people on that squad have sponsorship. Kelly O'Hara, for example, had like chocolate milk last yeah, yeah. World Cup. And I think you we could, both did. You could, yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. You could, so you could buy those products or I think more usefully send written letters, underscore written letters to those companies saying like, I am supporting your product because you're sponsoring this player. I had that same answer. Yeah, I think if you're going to support a sponsor, especially one that goes mm-hmm. through U.S. soccer and is a sponsor of the U.S. women's national team, um, if you let that company know the reason I'm buying this product, yeah. Volpe Foods, yeah. as an example, is because you sponsor the U.S. women's national team and I support the U.S. women's national yeah. team. Yeah, and, and I'm paraphrasing here because I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was like a political, uh, like a campaign manager. Like they were saying that basically one email Count, like is 10 phone or sorry sorry one one written letter yeah there it is yeah. I think it's like one phone call is 10 emails one written letter is 100 emails is yeah. the value that they place on it so yep. I've it, heard that exact same yeah. thing yeah. so a written letter to a sponsor saying hey I love that you're supporting this player I love that you're supporting women's soccer keep supporting them that means that company is probably going to keep them as uh, keep sponsoring them which means more money going to that player so we need to get though to the um, maybe the essence of mm-hmm. Owen's question because I think there's a, there's a distinction with what you mentioned about so chocolate milk, which is yeah. a separate sponsorship that Kelly O'Hara has mm-hmm. had. There's also the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, um, which is allowed to set up its own deals for non-U.S. soccer mm-hmm. sponsors. All that money goes to the U.S. Women's National Team players, right? Versus U.S. soccer broker yep. deals. Um, and then how much of that money that comes into mm-hmm. the U.S. soccer coffers is then distributed to the U.S. Women's National Team? Because we may be interpreting this question differently. I think Owen is asking, how can I make clear to U.S. soccer that when money comes into U.S. soccer, mm-hmm. more of it needs to go to the women? Yeah. Right? And I guess maybe I was looking at more as like – I like. There's all, all these lawsuits in place. It seems like there's a lot of uh, disparity and inequality. So I want to like specifically help the women's side of the game, right? Like, more so than anything else. But are we bypassing U.S. soccer? Or are we going direct and going direct to the players? Or are we like saying to putting pressure on U.S. soccer to like make clear that more more of the money that comes into you should go to the women? Um, my second answer is basically to not even worry about the U.S. women's national team. So I guess that's my answer. Is why, why not? Because I I would even argue that if it is like you want to help promote equality and better pay, the U.S. women's national team players are the ones who are doing okay. It's the NWSL players who are on $17,000 of right, like a true. season or at best that, that I would say like, go to an NWSL game or support their sponsors and say, because you employ these players. Yeah. That I think is another one to support your so that's the really grassroots up, NWSL team. Yeah. That's the grassroots up kind of way yeah. to support women's soccer is yeah. to support your local mm-hmm. NWSL team or NWSL sponsors. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so on. Yeah. Um, oh, and to people that matter, by the way, don't tell like, like if, I don't know if there's like, if Pete coffee sponsors the team that you like don't tell the barista that you're buying this coffee because you support <laughs> tell the the manager the owner of that pizza yeah, coffee. yeah that's right what i would say right mm-hmm. there you go um i think buying a ticket yeah. jersey does mm-hmm. work though 
right? Because yep. if you literally buy a ticket to a US Women's National Team game, it's a pretty clear message to US soccer, hey, I want to watch the US Women's National Team play. Mm-hmm. If you buy a US Women's National Team jersey, it's a pretty clear message to US soccer, I support the US Women's National Team, uh, you should maybe treat them better, yeah. right? If you buy, like, because you can actually now at the ussoccer.com store, um, you can buy um, a women's style jersey in women's, men's, and youth mm-hmm. sizes. So anyone can buy a women's jersey in advance of the 2019 World Cup. Yeah, because even then... Even it does then, send think- a small message, right? Like, at least when they see the spreadsheet yeah. and the numbers of how many women's jerseys, USWNT style jerseys were sold, yeah. US soccer knows. Again, yeah, because it goes back to, as a lot of these questions have, and as I said, I think they will, it goes back to like corporateness and the way that like large organizations think and i think Mm -hmm. yeah like there's my initial instinct to what you've just said is like yeah but then they're still getting that money or even if they're not even if nike's getting it they're still seeing the sales they're still looking at it as like oh so see people don't care they'll still buy the women's jerseys but i think inevitably if you're u.s soccer you look at that if uh, suddenly there's a ton of women's jerseys sold or like for men for women whomever you then are like oh okay more people want these we need to start offering better options we need to start offering more players we need to start incorporating and then like it does change the way you're thinking if you're u.s soccer i've got it Hmm. if you can customize the jerseys Yep. Right, which I think you can at Fanatics. You mm-hmm. may be able to do it at ussoccer.com. Customize it with the word equality. Okay. Instead of a say, player's name. Love the team, dislike the federation, if you want to go slightly <laughs> slightly moderated. Well, I don't want to be too anti-federation, right. but I want to, like, if, if Owen is, Owen Hwang is looking to send a message yeah. to US Soccer, maybe having that name on the jersey there we go. <laughs> would right. be the way to go. With just the dollar sign underneath as a number? Yeah. There we go. Perfect. 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 I dig it. <laughs> Speaking of sponsors. Uh-huh. Speaking of jerseys, I would say. <laughs> Today's show is also sponsored by Away Days, mm-hmm. one of our favorite sponsors, awaydaysfootball.com, another independent soccer brand. They are. And I think similar to companies like, like HelloFresh, I really love having HelloFresh as a sponsor and love the product because... Are they sponsoring today's show as well? well? No, but it's a little bit of a mystery box. Like You never oh, know what's going to be inside. Even if you order this food, you're still like, what's this tiny thing of like, like a garlic going to be for? I, I want to find out. And I feel like Away Days, again, you're ordering a thing. You know you're ordering a thing, but you don't know what that thing is necessarily going to be. So it's like a present to yourself. So you are talking, of course, uh-huh. about the famous, I'm going to say it's famous mm-hmm. at this point, Away Days. World mi- famous. World famous. Sending it further. Mystery kit. Yes, so sir. for $25, uh, you get literally a mystery kit. You mm-hmm. don't know what it's going to be. It won't be a big team. But it'll be from some team around the world. And you just get it, and then you hopefully you will love it. I love my Aviado shirt. I love my Olympiacos shirt. Mm-hmm. You love your, let me guess this. Benfica yep. shirt and River Plate. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well done, Daryl. You got it. Yeah. Well done, my friend. Um, these jerseys are not guaranteed to be from the current season nope. unless you shop at the 2018-19 Mystery Kit Special. Mm-hmm. These are $40. They're guaranteed to be from the current season, which I guess is coming towards an end now, yeah. but 2018-19 season. And then you can specify Biggie or Smalley? Mm-hmm. Do you and want a Biggie team or a Smalley team? There it is. Not, not size-wise, but in yes. terms of like, yeah, do you want to get one? Maybe you're you're just getting into it or you have like a family member who's getting into it. They want to support a big team. So you just get them a random jersey of a big yeah. team or maybe you're a sports atheist and you're okay with whatever jersey. <laughs> oh, good way to uh, do the, the 2018-19 mystery kit and ask for a bigger team is if you really don't know who to support mm-hmm. and if you get a Bayern Munich jersey, then yeah. you're like, all right. I'm all in on Bayern Munich. And congratulations to you and all your future trophies. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and then you can be infuriating and it will be super fun. And if you don't want to go that route, as you said, then you could go like smaller team, uh, a lesser no team. Again, not necessarily some like 
tiny team in the Russian third division. It's like like Galatasaray, I think, is the one that I usually go to when yeah, I'm talking yeah. about like smaller teams. Yeah, yeah, by big team we're talking Real Madrid. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah. So you but you can still get smaller smaller clubs if you want to learn more about them. If you want a new team to play as in FIFA, you can wear the jersey and play as them in FIFA. There we there's go. There's also the Ullsport mm-hmm. collection, which is a Ullsport. German. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. just based on the spelling. Uh, yeah, German kit manufacturer. Um, they have a couple of jerseys from the Ullsport collection and the American kit collection, which is a great thing. The way those football are doing, where they are essentially. Um, selling the jerseys of lower league or yeah lower league um, American teams so not MLS teams but these would be like USL teams or NPSL teams do you know what the best thing Away Days is doing though I don't. Uh, it's sponsoring the Total Soccer Show. <laughs> uh, if you go to awaydaysfootball.com and use the promo code TSS, you can get 15% off your order. Again, that's awaydaysfootball.com, and the code is TSS for 15% off. I feel like that's a very biased opinion of what the best thing they're doing is, but I also agree with it. Yeah, I'm fine with it. <laughs> this whole show has been about my bias, so I'm just going to continue that theme. Thank you to Away Days for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. More listener questions and then some scouting. Daryl, what have we got next? Oh, next up is Joey Jadlowski's mm-hmm. question. Joey Jadlowski says, after Trent Alexander-Arnold's quick corner kick versus Barcelona, mm. this is the Divacarigi goal, could you give me some clarity as to when teams are allowed to do quick restarts and when they are not? I feel like I've seen teams get called back for doing quick restarts like that. Is there a hard and fast Rule. All right, so this is one that I have done a little bit more of the research. I think I have the answers. I still have a few question marks of my own. Maybe we can figure them out together. But Daryl, what would your like best guess be? My best guess is that okay. We'll start with a corner kick, mm-hmm. which is obviously what TAA took. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as soon as the referee points to the corner kick spot, you're allowed to just go take it. Um, in general, yes, right. There is no like whistle that indicates okay, now it's time to take the corner kick. You can take it as fast as you want. I'm guessing there are exceptions. I think if maybe a player is injured, two players are fighting, there are two balls on the field, a fan runs on the field, then the ref can like literally yeah. blow his whistle and stop and say, don't take it until yeah. I give the signal to restart. But in general, a corner kick, you can take quickly. Mm-hmm. A throw-in, I'm pretty sure, as soon as it's awarded, you can pick it up and throw it. You can take it. Free kicks is where I'm a little more confused. Sure. Um, I'm going to guess that you can take a free kick quickly, the same as a corner kick, Unless you've asked for 10 yards. Yeah. Like if you ask the referee, because you know sometimes the player will mm-hmm. stand over the ball, but you can demand 10 yards or ask for 10 yards. Once you've done that, then the referee, he says, okay, like essentially, Zach Morris, time out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give you your 10 yards and then I'm going to blow the whistle for when you can take it. Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. it? I think that's about it. Yeah. It's basically if you start, I, I think my kind of rule of thumb is like if you engage with the referee, chances are you then can't take it quickly. Because if you're saying like, oh, that person's standing too close on a corner kick or that wall's too close or there's a little bit of infringement here. As soon as you kind of engage with the ref or you ask, hey, is that 10 yards? The referee, like I've, I have, I've had this experience this season. I think referees have been briefed to like almost in a lawyer sense, say like, do you want 10 yards? And you're forced to say so you need to yes ask or no. Yeah. And then, but like if you say like, hey, is that 10? He'll say, or she'll say, do you want 10? Yes. Okay. And then you see the whistle. Then you hear like, wait till my whistle That's or something like that. Yeah. So I think- so once so you have t- to know the password. It's like a speakeasy. Well, I think <laughs> in the sense that like you have to know the password to get them to do it. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, to your point, you can pretty much take it whenever you want. Uh, as far as I understand it, the one, the one caveat that like should be noted, it's a small thing, but a very important thing. And why some of these do get called back and then maybe sometimes commentators miss it and it makes it confusing is that the ball has to be completely stopped. If the ball's course, rolling at yes. all- then you can argue like, oh, play hasn't actually stopped, mm-hmm. and therefore like they'll they'll bring it back for that. So as long as you've stopped the ball, you can take it quickly. The one that confuses me, and I've asked our, uh, our referee friends, I haven't heard back yet, so I can't say for sure. But I am curious, like if 
if Daryl Grove is about to shoot and I come sliding in and it's a bad challenge and it's definitely going to be a yellow card, then I, I don't know if you can just stand up and take that free kick or if because there's going to be a card, the referee will stop play, give me the yellow, and then the wall gets set up and everything. My guess is that. My guess is that if there's a yellow mm-hmm. card, then the ref takes the time to do it. I, yeah, I think that makes sense. And you can't take it until he's finished giving that yellow card. Mm-hmm. But I think with – and this is where like like the rules can get a little hazy because I think it's a little bit interpretation. But I also think that like as long as the ref clocks it, like it's not that much different than advantage. That like maybe a yellow card is going to come out after the fact. But I think if you just stand up and take it quickly and pass it to your teammate and they score you haven't asked for 10 you haven't indicated that you want play stopped and i think it comes down to the official having to make it clear with the whistle no you have to stop and wait for me to yeah. get everything set okay that's interesting with advantage mm-hmm. say there's say there's a yellow card worthy foul a reckless yeah. foul and the ref's going to give the yellow card but he plays advantage because you have advantage mm-hmm. he definitely then gives that yellow at the yep. next stoppage of play right yes. but if there's a stoppage of play for a yellow card worthy tackle mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you can take it so quickly that he doesn't have time to give the yellow and then he'll give it on the next stoppage of play. I feel like that booking has to happen on that stoppage of play. I'm not confident in this, but I'm pretty sure. I think, well, see, I think this is where, again, as I said, like... It's where we need a ref, right? Yeah, because I think philosophy... But also it depends on which ref you're talking about because I think some will say, well, no, part of, part of my job as an official is to police the game. If people are getting a little too aggressive, I'm going to not, like, I'm going to stop that free kick and talk to the two people about, like, hey, you guys got to calm down. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, the yellow card or the talking to mm-hmm. someone is more important than whether you take the free kick quickly or not because safety is the most important thing. So overall, it's more important that he gets that done than you take the free kick. But yeah? I, I don't disagree with that in theory but I, I do think in practice that if i foul you and you stand up and pass it to your teammate who's wide open and they shoot even if it was going to be a yellow card i kind of think the referee has to go with what you want because you're hmm. kind of the team that's being given the advantage you're the team that's been kind of like you're receiving the ball now if you stand up and pass it and it hits me because i slide tackled you and i'm still laying down that's your fault you've tried to play quickly is it maybe i'm, I'm really guessing it's different mm-hmm. we're going to hear from refs whether we're right or not yeah. my guess is it's on the ref to like literally blow the whistle and make mm-hmm. sure to say everything has to stop so he can give the yellow before you get up and take that free kick quickly. But yeah. if you manage to get up quickly and take it because you're really, really keen, like mm-hmm. you're, you're a hyper Trent Alexander-Arnold, or, or if I then he can't you, call it back maybe. But if I foul you and then one of your teammates comes comes past and passes it to the, like puts a, like puts a hand on it to stop it and then passes it to your wide open teammate, yeah. you're not involved. But I think that is still like your teammates taking advantage of the situation. And I think that would be permitted. I think part of this is that for you and me, we play in an amateur league. And I think... There are more clumsy fouls than you would probably get in a professional uh, competition, and I think you have referees. Don't shade at my tackling. Not at all, my friend. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but more so that, like, and I think you have referees who, again, I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but obviously they're not like Champions League trained refs. So I think there's a little bit more of authority through the whistle. I'm making it very clear: we're stopping this play, we're doing that. And I think that there can be a little bit of like over policing there that makes us think that that's the norm. But I think in reality, you can kind of take it as quickly as you want, provided that someone's not like bleeding and on the ground, or there's no like worry of head collision or anything like that. All right, the ball stopped. I think you can go. All right. Well, we'll find out. Well, mm. I'm sure we'll hear about this. I'm I'm sure we will. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for the final question? I am. I, uh, I think it's, it's your turn, turn to ask. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dustin Simmons, my hometown. <laughs> I'm lucky because this question is a paragraph long. <laughs> it is. Uh, I'm good with that. Uh, my hometown, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, just announced that next spring they will be getting a USL League One club. Non-college teams have a history of failing in Nebraska, so this has me worried. And I'm wondering, what does success look like at this level? Is it attendance-based? Is it player development-based? How will I know if my te- new team is sustainable and will it be around for a long haul okay so justin simmons um, also he said the long haul i read that wrong 
Okay. <laughs> Very important distinction. Um, so just in case anyone missed the, the basis of this question, mm-hmm. it's that um, USL League One, which is the third tier of American soccer, where the Richmond Kickers, our local team, plays, have announced there's going to be an expansion team um, in Omaha, I think starting in 2020, which is next year, right? Um, what does success look like for a new League One team? I would say it's stay in business, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Stay in business. Because yep. so many lower league US teams have not stayed in business. So just to be around, mm-hmm. I think, is the absolute key to success in American soccer. I've got more to say on this, but yeah. I think that's the base level. Don't end up folding. Exactly. And I, so I completely <laughs> agree with you. That was basically my answer. But then what I wanted to do was look more at like, okay, so then what are the steps that you would want to see as a fan to like to make you feel comfortable that they're staying in business. Like, okay. What are the steps being well, done? If, if you don't mind, before we get to that, mm-hmm. I think it's worth noting that they probably will stay in business mm-hmm. because I looked into the man who um, has bought this franchise. He's now an owner investor in USL, and he's made a lot of money from building services. And he also owns a minor league baseball team, mm-hmm. the Omaha Storm yep. Chasers. So, provided that Gary Green is his name is willing to lose money on his Omaha team the team can stay in business, All right? right? But that also, that is very dependent on um, how, how far he's willing to go with that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I, but I also think, like, I, I don't know anything about him, but I also think that, like, you I can I just have... told you everything I know about him. Oh, yeah, he has very, very white teeth. That's Perfect. the other thing I know about him from a picture. Lovely. Like, crazy uh, white. But I think, like, that... Firmino type. type I'm not trying teeth. to go negative here, but, like, I like that can be bad, though, that if you have an owner... Oh, I heard you. I heard your Firmino comment. Uh, if you have an owner who already owns another franchise, like, there can be sometimes an inclination to, like, well, I own one sports franchise. Why not do the exact same thing with the other sports franchise? I don't know very if he's different, a, Very different sports. I don't know if he's a soccer guy or not. Yeah. I don't know if he's just like, oh, I invested in minor league baseball. Let's yeah. invest in minor league soccer. Yeah. And, and so where I've kind of so, but you're saying that basically you think that he's got the pockets and the pull to keep it going. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he, at worst, he could sell some of his teeth. Yeah. So he, magnificent. Yeah, that magnificent. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's probably not then like he's looking to make money off of it in the short term. Otherwise, they're in trouble. Yes. So that makes sense. Uh, what I went with, though, in like more in the line of what you were thinking is what it comes down to for me is do people care? <laughs> and I mean a variety of people. Uh, like you want the fans engaged. Do you, are you going to a game and seeing people? Do you have a supporters group? Do you have a people who are standing up and cheering? Or is it sort of... People who are like, oh, I'll check this out once, and they're kind of not that into it. Do you feel like the the match day personnel are responding to issues? Do you feel like, oh, the, that line was too long, the next game they're kind of handling it? Like, people are on, on the ball trying to make it a better experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there, like, a visible presence, like, from the ownership on game days? Do you feel like it's a, like a community that they're trying to build? Are the players working? Do the players care? Like, I think if you see all of the people putting in effort, it means that people are still working, whereas if you see... Fewer and fewer people working like the turnstiles and like doing concessions and doing match day stuff. Then suddenly it feels like, ooh, they're not putting as much money to this. Yep. The players don't seem as motivated either. That's a worrying sign for me. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with all that. I'd also say if you look at League One this year, there are some new teams who kind of made a good impact, right? Yep. Like Ford, mean, Ford Madison, like have seemed to have like a real good vibe. I have, I have a lot written about Ford Madison in my okay. notes right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lansing Ignite. Mm-hmm. I think from the the four hundred times we've seen the Richmond Kickers play them this year, mm-hmm. um, it looks like a decent atmosphere at the stadium. I know they're playing at a baseball stadium, but there there seems to be some momentum behind that team. And I feel like if you're the League One team that comes in and you don't have that, you can look real, real bad. Yeah. Right? You may be staying in business because Gary Green has deep pockets, but you will not look good in comparison to Ford Madison and Lansing Ignite and then the more established teams like the Richmond Kickers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I think with, with to the Richmond Kickers, like we have been frustrated in seasons past by it didn't feel like there was 
Uh, like to what I meant, like not that people didn't care, but we didn't feel like there was that like next level effort to reach out to different communities to get more people involved. I think there can be like when you're an older team or you've been around for a while, you get used to like, oh yeah, we interact with this company and this company. We have these supporters. We have these supporters. That's what we got. And I think some newer clubs, like I look at Ford Madison. I watched. Maybe I'm buying into the hype because I watched that one video of them walking to their first game. Well, they're very well marketed, right? They're, I mean, and, and I think I'm not saying that's a criticism. I think that's a key thing because good marketing people are not easy to find. That's what I mean. Yeah. Is that like? They, they made that seem like an event. They made me, a person who lives in Richmond, want to go to Madison to like see a bunch of people in inflatable flamingo costumes <laughs> and drums being played and, and just like people being goofy. Like yeah. that, that was the atmosphere that I would want to attend if I were a soccer fan. I am a soccer fan, so I do want to attend that. And like that type of marketing, it pulls in people. It makes it like infectious. You want to be a part of that. If it's sort of a we're giving away bobbleheads for the first game. I don't know if that like that kind of marketing works. So mm-hmm. I think it's that next level marketing effort, putting the money into the branding, having the flamingo monitoring the snowfall, which it did uh, throughout the winter. Like I think little steps like that that Ford Madison had to take is really really wise. I have a major major thing as well. What you got? It's, it's very specific to Omaha and another League One team, say Chattanooga Red Wolves. Mm-hmm. I think it may also apply to Greenville. Uh, Chattanooga Red Wolves SC. Thank you very much. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, there's a special challenge for these type of teams because they are coming into markets where there's already an established mm-hmm. independent team. Yep. So the big thing in Omaha is Buggy Eaters FC, yep. right? Buggy Eaters FC. And we've got a little interest in this, right? Because mm-hmm. we met the owner, Jonathan Clora. He uh, came to our live show in Omaha. Uh, we talked to him for a long time. He was a really nice guy, really yep. interesting. He talked to us a lot about what it's like to own an independent soccer team, right? So I want to sort of declare our sort of, not bias, but uh, full disclosure that, that, that that's part of our background here. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the Bug Eaters what, played in Lincoln but recently moved to Omaha. And they had been establishing – or they are establishing this, like, grand swell of support and, like, really good branding and marketing, right? The Bug Eaters jerseys are absolutely mm-hmm. magnificent. I think it's really important um, that a team like the Omaha USL League One expansion team doesn't come in and try and just steamroller the uh, pre-existing support of Bug Eaters. doesn't mm-hmm. try and steal fans. I would like all these teams, Chattanooga, who are doing it with Chattanooga FC, um, and Greenville, I believe, I want them to come in and find a way to work with the existing independent teams and not start a sort of soccer wars kind of thing of League One versus independent teams, but find a way to work together in some way for the greater good. Yeah, I would agree with that because, like, to your point about Chattanooga, I'm not an expert on this one, but from what I understand from, like, the little bit I've read, there are two teams there, and it seems like I'm not trying to get into who did what and when, but the fan fan, fan bases do not like each other, yeah. borderline hate well, each other. in terms of the when, we know Chattanooga FC existed first, and Chattanooga Red Wolves, the USL League One expansion yeah. team, came in later. Yes. So we know the when. Yes, but then I think there's there's lots of other issues, uh, not just who was there first. But, like, yeah. I guess what I mean to say is, like, so then you have these two fan bases that you could have... There's always gonna be a little bit of rivalry. I get that, but like, it's not like you you like have like so much money rolling into it in such big draw that you can kind of afford to be these rival factions. It's not Man United, Man City. No, right? It's not. Yeah, it's it's a team. It's, it's the, we're talking especially at League One and NPSL level, uh, or even uh, UPSL. We're talking about teams of size, cities of sizes that can't necessarily support multiple teams. We don't even know if they can support one team, mm-hmm. right? And this is the. The testing ground to see if they can support one team. Mm-hmm. If you pit, if you separate the soccer fans in that city, I feel like you're already halving your chances of success. Yeah, right. And, yes, and, and to, to that point, like I wasn't here for when this happened, so I happily, please correct me if I'm wrong in what I'm about to say. But like we had uh, RVA FC here for a while. Yes, an MPSL team. MPSL, mm-hmm. uh, correct? Or was I'm it actually PDL? not sure. I think they were yeah. MPSL. Okay. Yeah, um, and but like that team. As far as I understand it from what I remember... Well, it might be PDL because there's a lot of uh, college players on right. there as well. Okay. I mean, it was the same thing. It was like yeah. amateur players not yet gone pro. Yeah. Um, but 
as I recall, that team essentially set themselves in opposition to the Richmond kickers. Yes, as, like, very we much are so. The anti-kickers stand behind the goal, drink beer, scream, be, yeah, be yeah. crazy, wave flags. Like they kind of set themselves up as this like we're challenging the institution. Mm-hmm. But I think what that does is maybe like yeah, some of their their games seem like they had rowdy fans, and they probably did. But it also means that people who are diehard kickers fans aren't going to attend those games. And yep. if you're a new team trying to build a fan base, immediately ostracizing. Everybody who likes this one team or everybody who's even like peripherally affiliated with that team, it suddenly kind of means that now those two teams are never going to get along. You have to choose one team or the other. That was how I felt at the time. I didn't want to have to choose between RAFC, which I kind of liked some of their branding Mm -hmm. because at least it was like more um, aggressive than the kickers were at the time. But the fact they were aggressive towards the kickers and then there were people on staff at RAFC saying less than complimentary things about actual kickers, players and Mm -hmm. staff. I just didn't want to get involved in that in that whole thing, right? Yeah. So it made me, I mean, we were media as well. We were Richmond media. We were less inclined to cover them because we didn't want to get into some like war of like sending insults back and forth. Exactly. You know what happened in the, in the end? RVFC is now Fredericksburg FC. And, they left town. And now the, they moved the, an hour north. The people who kind of backed them and got into it and probably got into it with Red Army people and got into it with Kickers people and were sort of like, even if it was like tongue in cheek of sort of like, haha, like I'm supporting this new team and they're doing their own thing and we don't like, we're in opposition to the Kickers. Even if you meet it sort of tongue in cheek jokingly, when that team moves, I, I do think that there's probably a percentage of people who are now like, well, that was the team I liked, and I've kind of openly said I don't like this other team, so I, I yeah. guess I'll just kind of watch the Premier League. You burn bridges, right? Yeah. Don't burn bridges mm-hmm. in a city that can't support multiple teams, right? Agreed. Because also, RVFC were good for a while, right? They had mm-hmm. uh, Todd Wharton, I think uh, Kamal Belton, they had like, these good, interesting players. Uh, Grover Gibson was the coach and I think the owner, and he knew how to put together an interesting soccer team. There was a chance to make something there, yeah. but because of the sort of essential squabbling, it, it didn't work out in Richmond. So I would very much not like to see that happen with any of these anything in Chattanooga in Greenville and uh, especially in Omaha yeah and, and I Which guess the city I'm weirdly fond of after our one visit too. I mean I, that's fair yeah I enjoyed my time first there ever live show was yeah. in Omaha right mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I would say like you don't have to I'm not even saying you have to then like go to the other team's games you don't have to you certainly don't have to go there and like grin and be happy and cheer but like you don't have to be openly against the, like a new team you don't yeah. have to like sort of feed into that stuff and again, I know there's other issues at play. I'm sure they're like, if I were in the situation, maybe I'd feel differently. But I was in the situation with RVAFC and the kickers, albeit distantly, living abroad. But I, I still felt that way then that, that like I feel now. So I think that's a big part of it because the, the more kind of walls you build up or put up, the harder it's going to be to bring in more people, to make people feel welcome. And if you're yep. trying to be a new franchise, you kind of got to get as many people through the gates as you possibly can. So there you go, Justin Simmons. You weren't expecting all that, were you? Probably not. <laughs> but thank you for asking the question because it gave us a chance to talk about it. Justin says we also met him in Omaha at, ah, at that live show. There we go. Um, okay, so thanks again to Dustin. Omaha, growing up big. It's enormous. It's huge. It's our next <laughs> metropolis. <laughs> All hail our Omaha overlords. Uh, and all hail everyone who sent in uh, scouting reports. Uh, we have several to get to. None of them went horrifically out of date like we've had uh, a few in the past. <laughs> These are all relatively recent, although there are a few Daryl Grove uh, catch-up scouting reports. Okay. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Um, okay. First up mm-hmm. is... David Majewski scouting Shaq Moore. We haven't heard about Shaq Moore for a while, right? The 22-year-old American right-back for Levante. David says, since joining Levante's reserve squad in January, Moore has started in 16 of 18 matches. This past weekend against Villarreal B, he hit a screamer into the top left corner of the goal, his second in four matches. All right. 
Shaq Moore on the comeback. There we go, Shaq Moore. Uh, Alan Bedford scouting Jonathan Lewis, 21-year-old American forward for the Colorado Rapids. Transfer. Oh, I guess trade. There we go. In MLS. Uh, Sale-ish. After being mostly ignored this season at NYCFC, Jonathan Lewis was sold to the Colorado Rapids on the last day of the MLS transfer window. The reported price was $650,000 in TAM for 2020. The Rapids needed to shore up. Layaway. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Slightly odd. The Rapids needed to shore up their defense, says Alan, so the move is now being seen as more of a long-term strategic one for I, the Rapids. I just want Jonathan Lewis on the field. That's fair. Danny Makaga is scouting Oliver Batista Maia, the 18-year-old German-Brazilian left winger for Bayern Munich. That, that is a hilariously Germ- like German-Brazilian name. It's great, right? It really is, because Oliver could go either way, and then Batista, I feel like it instantly makes me think Brazil, Maia makes me think German. Uh-huh. Here we go. Danny says, OBM made a substitute appearance in the 72nd minute of Bayern United's 1-0 loss to Karlsruhe. Those 18 minutes are OBM's first since tearing an ankle ligament last fall, which required surgical repair. If I remember, I assigned OBM to Danny and he immediately tore his ACL. Um, <laughs> not quite the senior team minutes he hoped for, but progress is progress. And thank you, Danny, for sticking with OBM, um, even through his injury. Yes, we very much appreciate it. We appreciate the report from Mike Phelan, uh, fresh off signing a new contract for Manchester United yeah not that one uh, scouting Hannes Wolf the 19 year old Austrian midfielder for RB Salzburg uh, Hannes came off the bench in the 68th minute of Salzburg's 2-1 win against Austria Vienna and was a force picking up the MLS assist on the tying goal in the 81st minute and scoring the game winner in the 86th Ooh, so he's going to be impressing incoming new boss Jesse Marsh we shall see we shall see. He received a pass in the center of the field, turned away from a defender, and cut across the top of the box on the left side, where he put a shot in over the keeper and into the far side netting. Hannes's goal was not only a game winner, but it also clinched the Austrian Bundesliga title for Salzburg, so not a bad day overall. That obviously also means that Jesse Marsh will be managing in the Champions League. So, yes. uh, double good work from Hannes there. Yes, and triple good work. Whatever the German word is for congratulations to RB Salzburg. I'm sure it's complicated. Uh, Russell Varner scouting Alex Mendes. I'm sure it sounds delightful. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most beautiful of all languages. Uh, Russell Varner, scouting Alex Mendez, 18-year-old American midfielder for SC Freiburg. We're just making everybody mad today. <laughs> Alex Mendez is Poland-bound. Yeah. On Friday morning, he was named to Tab Ramos' squad for the U-20 World Cup, much to the surprise of, well, no one. Uh, <laughs> in club play, things are going smoothly for Mendez as he has started all of the Freiburg U-19's last four matches. I have an update on this because mm. I saw it on Twitter. Alex Mendez scored a free kick, at least in the last few days. I have an update here. Uh, Alex Mendez has scored a free kick in the last few days. Well done, Alex Mendez. Daryl, over to you. <laughs> Tristan, like I'm in a different studio. <laughs> Tristan Gilliland-Kunkel is scouting Derek Jones, the 22-year-old American midfielder for Nashville SC. Derek has been traded to Nashville SC as they continue to build their 2020 MLS roster. The union received 175000 in general allocation money and Jones' homegrown player rights in the deal. Union sporting director Ernst Tanner said, Derek has been through some difficult situations this season, both on and off the field, and both he and the club agree a change of scenery is best for all parties involved at this time. And I'm hearing now we have an update on Dwayne Holmes over in England. And for that, we go to Taylor Rockwell. Uh, I want to go the, the Matt Walsh uh, uh, character from Veep role. And like whenever you throw it at me, I'm just going to look in the wrong camera. <laughs> oh, I love that show. Uh, you'll, you'll end it with a network show. This is true. <laughs> and, and a sweet mustache. Uh, James B. Choka is scouting Dwayne Holmes, 24, 24-year-old American midfielder for Derby County, as Daryl said. His birthday was May 11th, so happy belated to Dwayne. Uh, Holmes played 70 minutes in a 1-0 loss to Leeds in the first leg of their promotion playoff fixture. Frank Lampard started the American in a central attacking mid-roll in just his second game back from injury, and he rewarded his manager with a dynamic effort. Defense 
defensively. Uh, Holmes put out uh, put constant pressure on Leeds midfielders and disrupted passes with committed tackles. Can I interrupt to say I watched a big chunk of this uh-huh. game and I saw one moment where Dwayne Holmes made three tackles in a row <laughs> to eventually win the ball. Like he made a tackle, it popped loose, um, and a, a Leeds player got it. He made another tackle, it popped loose, a Leeds player go. got it. He made a third tackle, and that time he got the ball. So I've always thought of Dwayne Holmes as this like creative passing midfielder, which he definitely is. I didn't know he could also do that, so I was really excited by that by what I saw. So that was defensively. Yeah, you were impressed there. Offensively, yeah. uh, he was key to some of Derby's best chances, making charging runs into the defensive gaps and looking to release his teammates in dangerous positions. Yeah. Elementary for mm-hmm. Dwayne Holmes. Todd Ito is scouting Takafusa Kubo, the 17-year-old Japanese attacker for FC Tokyo. Um, Todd says Takafusa Kubo continues to do big things for FC Tokyo, who remain atop the J-League standings. He scored Tokyo's lone goal against Jubilo Iwata with a sublime left-footed volley from just inside the box. So much of my life now is predicated on not, or it's like based on not just going full dad knowledge or like dad mode because when you said elementary I was about to be like you know he doesn't actually say elementary and then I was like no Taylor stop it stop it stop it brain so I'm really working on this still said at that time but for purposes of of me like just know that whenever there's an awkward silence it's me being like shut up brain people don't need to know that surf's ate lobsters (laughs) that's not a thing that people ever need to know no one needs to know that Will Harrison middle school dear Taylor (laughs) yes Will Harrison scouting Ryan Sessegnon. We're not friends anymore. 18-year-old English left-sider for Fulham. Ryan and Fulham's season has drawn mercifully to a close with a 4-0 home loss to Newcastle. Sess had a lively 81-minute day, but was second best in his battles with Newcastle defender Isaac Hayden and finished the season with two goals and six assists, which is not really what we had in mind. Uh, now begins the season of transfer rumors. I've seen Spurs and Man United both linked to Ryan Sessegnon. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen him say he prefers Spurs. Yeah. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? Oh, Champions League team, yeah. right? Yeah, and also, also London, a coach who is proven yeah. and stability. Yeah, no, uh-huh. yeah, I think that makes sense. All right, well, good luck, Ryan. Yeah. Ed Ritter is scouting Ben Mines, the 19-year-old American attacker for the New York Red Bulls. Ed says Ben returned to the field for the first time since his injury on March 29th, getting about 30 minutes in the Red Bull Twos, one-one draw with Ottawa. The 10:30 game time didn't help anyone, but Ben definitely had some rust to work off. I genuinely can't tell if that's 10:30 a.m. or p.m. because we have seen. I think it was like Toronto a few seasons ago had like at 11 a.m. game against the Richmond Kickers. Yeah. So sometimes they have those weird ones. Is I, Ottawa East Coast or West Coast? My Canadian geography is poor. Sure. Sure. It's somewhere in there. <laughs> North Coast. Yeah, it's North Coast. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Again, also in the land of always winter. Uh, James Porter scouting Oliver Skip, 18-year-old English midfielder for Tottenham. Oliver Skip finally got off the pine and played the last 13 <laughs> minutes of Spurs' 2-2 draw against Everton. <laughs> Sounds like he was addicted to pine. <laughs> The new future drug, fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, just, it's just air fresheners. Uh, Skip was eager to get on the ball and displayed his ability to turn under pressure and fire off line-splitting passes. He finished his first campaign with Spurs' uh, first team with 10 appearances in all competitions. Next season, he will likely either be challenging Harry Wings for minutes or, maybe more likely, go out on loan to ensure consistent playing time, especially since, James says, Spurs may look to strengthen his exact position this summer. Until Josh Onoma comes back and claims his rightful place as the best ever Spurs midfielder. Travis Mitchell is Game of Thrones has permeated a lot of our dialogue. A little today. bit. <laughs> Travis Mitchell is scouting Trey Muse, 19-year-old American goalkeeper for the Tacoma Defiance. This season has not gone the way Muse would have liked. In the USL Championship, Muse has eight starts with 20 goals given up. Yeah, that's no good, right? Mm-mm. Woof. <laughs> As if that weren't bad enough, Muse was left out of the U20 World Cup roster by Tab Ramos. Yes, he was. How did, Travis, how did Travis Clark take this? He was sad. 
I think I think he was sad, but also there was that thing that you and I have definitely experienced of when you have he did his roster projection, he had Trey Muse on it. So when we talked about it, I think it was like twenty percent he wanted to see Trey Muse there, and eighty percent like here's why I had him going though. Like <laughs> I'm not totally wrong. Uh, so, but yes, I think Travis overall made peace with it, especially since it's the third goalkeeper. Oh, I see the next name on the list, and I know that there's similar news. Yeah, it's a little bummer. It's a little bummer. James Jones scouting Andrew Carlton, 18-year-old American attacker for Atlanta United. Carlton was left off the U-20 World Cup roster, and then Frank DeBoer publicly discussed how Andrew needs to grow up both mentally and physically. It's a double whammy. Sometimes have been better. Uh, Andrew was left out of the 18 for both Atlanta United's home match against Orlando City and Atlanta 2's uh, 2's game against Bethlehem. Uh, The acquisition of Justin Miram last week can't help his prospects for first-team football. Ooh. Yeah. We're in the bad zone here with Andrew Carlton, yeah. right? I don't think he needs to leave. I think he needs to maybe just do what Frank DeBoer says. I like that Breck Shea was signed that he was just like, yeah, I'll have some of that. Like he just, I guess he's going to be mini Breck Shea. That's the route he's going. <laughs> Although Breck Shea, at least, you know, he seems like he's got like the artful taste. He's got some discipline. He likes yeah. to fish and be by himself. Uh-huh. Maybe don't go out and party all the time, Andrew Carlton. Maybe, yeah. you know, uh, spend, spend the evening in. I'd like to know what FDB means by this. I know there was the partying thing before MLS mm-hmm. Cup. I don't know what's been happening this season. If anyone knows what's going on with Andrew Carlton, please let us know because a very talented young player that we really hope that we get to see the best of. I would enjoy that. <sighs> okay. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, mm-hmm. we are coming towards the end of the show. It's worth letting people know that if you would like too. to send a question to the Total Soccer Show, it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions yes it is i put that link out on twitter the other day we suddenly have a huge stockpile of questions i noticed that <laughs> yeah. every time every time you do that I, was, I think i've tweeted this before there's times when i forget that daryl has like asked a question or proposed an idea and i'm suddenly oh, on twitter like, yeah. why does everyone care about goalkeepers what's happening and then i realize <laughs> what's going on so yeah lots of questions that we have to mm-hmm. answer in the future um if you subscribe to the total sock show and support us at ten dollars a month or more we guarantee to answer one of your questions per month we don't do just ten dollar questions we mix them in so you don't have to be a ten dollar subscriber but ten dollar is the way to guarantee that one of your questions will be answered per month unless it's a crazy question and then at fifteen dollars a month uh we guarantee to answer your question but daryl guarantees to take off his glasses and bite one of the tips and make it seem like he's really deep in thought answering the question before we should answering offer it. that service yes it would it would not go over well on audio not so much Dan. no <laughs> you'd have to it'd have to be a big chomp on the on the glasses yeah. for everyone to know that you're actually biting so actually i'd lose money because i'd end up having to keep buying new glasses that's gonna be a problem unless we could get like warby parker as a sponsor there we go <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way this could work out or, yeah, so we have simple contacts. You have to take your contact lens out and, <laughs> and pensively hold that in your hand and then put it back in. Chew it and put it yes, back exactly. in. Yes, exactly. All right. It sounds Folks like we at should... home, don't chew your contacts. <laughs> it sounds like we should be wrapping up today's what? show. Yeah. yeah, probably. Taylor, it's been good to be back with you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. You're welcome. Listeners, <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> Taylor was smiling when he said that, in case you were in case you were. We'll be back tomorrow with a big, big show. We are going to start doing our big Premier League review mm-hmm. of the season. We sure are, and it's probably going to be epic, so I guess I better buckle up for another long recording session where I slowly lose my mind. Yay! (laughs) 